Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo, and welcome to the 52nd episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mellow underscore Magikarp, and I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us once again is Sack, a.k.a. SackSack17. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back. Love having you here. You are a fan favorite for a reason. (laughs) We got a very special episode for y'all. We are going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened for the EUIC registration. If you don't know, it's because this is as close to breaking news as you can get on a podcast. We're only a day old on it. So we'll talk about that. Then we're going to talk about the Liverpool results this past weekend in Liverpool. They played a regional tournament and it was won by one of the best players in the game by a deck that no one expected, which that's like a five days old now so you've probably heard about it but we'll talk about the decks our list and what we think happened over there and then we'll get into some questions from twitch chat as always we are live on twitch.tv slash mellow underscore magikarp so let's go ahead and get into the euic registration debacle so sack you weren't planning on going to euic were you no not at all Neither was I, and uh, it's definitely a good thing that neither of us were planning to go to EUIC because registration closed in about 40 minutes out of nowhere, including at a time when several players were still flying back from the Liverpool regionals. So for those who don't know, it was a shadow drop. Suddenly, log into Twitter, and you see people posting. I assume like Will Post and whatnot were posting like, hey, registration's open. Not even the official Play Pokemon account had posted out. RK9 did, and then it was retweeted by Will Post, and then it kind of caught traction from there. And Masters Trading Card Game Division had filled up in less than an hour, while your boy was still literally just started work it was already over and uh the unfortunate thing is it filled up at i want to say it was 600 participants it was a pretty small number i don't know did you see the number i think they're around five to six hundred yeah and uh there were a lot of people who wanted to go who did not make it in because of that incredibly small window and the essential shadow drop of it so a lot of people are very upset at ui or sorry at play Pokemon for this, rightfully so. I would be upset if this was, say, NAIC or something like that. I want to talk about, what does this show us? Liverpool and UIC had the same thing. Zach, are you worried for, like, Indy and NAIC and Milwaukee registration, you know, some of these tournaments that can be larger? Or do you think this is going to be, like, some weird European problem? Do you think TPCI is going to get their stuff together? Like, what are your thoughts? Uh, Like, a little worried for, like, Indy and Milwaukee, but... I think this is mostly like a like an EU problem. Like it's, their venues are smaller, right? I don't think we had an issue for Salt Lake, to my knowledge. I didn't hear anything about people um, having issues registering for Salt Lake City um, and having any issues in the past uh, for any regionals registering for any of them. But I think it's, uh, I'm like a little worried for it. It seemed to happen multiple times now, but I think it's mostly EU. That's something that like I'm kind of in between because I agree. Like it seems like it's an EU problem because that's the first two that's happened. But also, Salt Lake City is incredibly difficult to get to, as you saw trying to find plane tickets for it. I think a lot right. of people were like, uh, maybe not. And Indianapolis, on the other hand, is somewhere that it feels like we can easily go well over a thousand. Yeah. And, like we're gonna drive there. It's that close. And I don't know if they have the ability to house all those people i mean they might i hope they do obviously but there's that's that part in the back of my head that's like i really hope that they get it together they tell us what a number is they let us know when it's gonna be something like that it's it's a little sketchy same for naic where they're we know that they filled their cap before of 1600 people and that number has to be smaller now i assume and you weren't in you weren't in Salt Lake City, but for those who don't know, uh, the biggest thing about Salt Lake City was the venue was massive, of course. But the tables, there were four players at every table instead of six. 
normally you're elbow to elbow sack you've been to regionals you know that yeah. <laughs> you were on top of each other and that didn't yeah. happen here so you just can't fit as many people in these tournaments yeah some of the tournaments are like very close knit like well this is pre-covid right pre uh like hey we need to space each other out kind of thing um you would show up you'd be like hey how's it going you would like put down your play mat and it would be on the person next to you play mat. Like you wouldn't have a space for your play mat to play cards on. That's how it closed. But like, uh, this was like pre COVID, right? And like now we have COVID going on and, um, you know, like six feet apart, like keep your distance kind of thing. And so like some of the venues, they need more space and to keep that six feet of distance or how far you're supposed to be apart, they like can't have as many people. So I assume it's a like, result of that, but. Hopefully we can get it figured out by the time more regionals come around. Yeah, I really hope this isn't going to be a thing because, like you said, hopefully they figure it out because EUIC is one of the biggest tournaments. It should have been the second largest tournament of the year, essentially. Like it, For sure. Maybe not in terms of numbers, but like in terms of hype and everything else, it should have been absolutely massive. And filling up in 40 minutes is not a feels good at all. I heard some... Um... I think there are like some communication issues, right? The Play Pokemon did release a tweet saying that registration was open and you can sign up for it, whatever. Um, nine hours after registration opened, right? Did you, say, did you see that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> people, people did the math on it, right? The EYC is located in Germany, right? Frankfurt, Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Pokemon headquarters are like located nine hours difference of a time zone after germany so like maybe it was a communication thing it was just like hey we we messed up one time kind of thing right and like hey it's supposed to release at like nine in the morning they're like nine our time perfect right and then they they did it correctly but they just had like the time zones wrong due to like germany and what i would imagine to be i think seattle it is is it right um yeah so maybe that was also an issue that would be i did not hear that part i did see the tweet and the pure anger understandably uh, tweeting out <laughs> as several hours, not only after it had gone up, but after it had already been filled up. I'm like, why are you rubbing this in our face right now? But I did not know yeah. that there might have been a time zone thing. That would have been super interesting. I saw someone do the math on it, but I'm like, not confirmed for sure. Like, I have no idea, but it's like, hey, nine hours later, nine hours time zone difference. Did you guys like miscommunicate or like what have you or that as well? But I've heard that might be an issue. Hopefully that can get solved. Hopefully. I was there was a chunk of time during uh all of this that I was not paying attention to Pokemon Twitter because I made the mistake of making a Will Will Smith Chris Rock tweet and <laughs> all of my notifications were constantly about people replying to that thing. So yeah. I definitely missed a lot of stuff and a lot of the salt on PTCG Twitter. I saw another thing. Like there's many like regionals that go on around and between uh internets right because mm -hmm. uic is like an, an internet sort of thing and like someone else did a comparison of numbers for like regional sizes and what they capped at pre uh 2020 pre-covid right and like we've had bigger regionals that like allowed for more like players and more people to show up than this internet's like hey a smaller tournament pre-covid uh allow for more people more spectators more players all that show up and like this is internet's what should be a bigger tournament for people all around the world and we're capping at smaller numbers so is it that we're like not renting out like a big enough venue for this or like what's the issue like do we not have enough space for these people but like this is a bigger tournament we should have like more space for the bigger tournament to allow more people from like everywhere around the world to show up and come register and come play because it's supposed to be competitive and mm -hmm. how are you supposed to like have a competitive scene if like you're not allowing some players to like well not register not compete yeah this is there's many top players i missed it right oh yeah they were someone tweeted out it was the players cup three champions natalie zach and azul all missed out and then the reigning yeah. world champ henry missed out and that's like that's just alone right there is a lot of people let alone oh and the reigning uh international champion nico also missed out yep. so that's so many top players that's a lot. That's not even counting the other people who are top players who happen to miss out as well. These are just like the, hey, the reigning every single TPCI championship, with the exception of Alex Shemansky for Players Cup 4, has missed out on this. Yeah, he got in, right? He did get in, yes. <laughs> he was like, this is one list that I'm happy to not be a part of. Because <laughs> right? this is all these people that like, hey, I accomplished something and I 
went to go register for EUIC. And he's like, well, I'm glad I'm not on that list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't blame him at all. Living on the West Coast, Germany was never even remotely an option. That is an expensive flight and a lot of hours, but I would have been in the same boat as probably several of our listeners, too, of just like, well, I was at work. <laughs> like, I did not check Twitter during that specific class. And so, therefore, big rip. Yeah. Hopefully, this doesn't continue. Right. I think I was streaming um, during the time that uh, it went live. Like, hey, registration for EYC is live. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm not going. So I just kind of put it out of my mind. And then, like, probably two or three games of Pokemon later, they're like, oh, yeah, it's full. <laughs> I was like, what? Already? It's been, like you said, 40 minutes, under an hour. It was just ridiculous hearing about it. So are you going to get into some discussion on those top decks from Liverpool? Because for those unfamiliar, you are a deck builder, like 100%. And so I know you've got some thoughts on all of this stuff. And myself, as the person who plays the most generic lists in the world and pilots them well, I've also got some thoughts on this stuff. So I'm going to very quickly go over the top eight, and then we're going to dive deeply into each of the lists, or most of the lists. And some of them are just not worth mentioning at all. But there were 373 Masters at the Liverpool Regionals. Robin Scholes, 2018 World Champion, previous guest host on the podcast as well. Go back to episode, let's say, 22 to listen to that one. Played Urshifu, Inteleon, Baby Moltres to a dub. We did not ever talk about that deck in any of our meta discussions, either with Natalie, Rahul, Pedro, or last week with Grant and Locke. So shout out to Robin. And the rest of the Limitless crew and Tord for coming up with that deck that pulled it all out. Brennan Kammerman came in second with Rapid Strike Mali Inteleon, a deck that I thought it was a North American deck, but the Europeans are the ones who decided to absolutely break that deck. Because also coming in sixth place with Rapid Strike Mali Inteleon was two-time temporary guest host of the podcast, Omnipoke Joe Bernard. Coming in third was Leonard Timmers with Mew Genesect. Of course, we told you it wasn't dead. I don't think anyone really thought it was dead. Coming in fourth was Alessandro Frenda with Arceus Inteleon with a Crobat VMAX in it. Coming in fifth was, once again, previous guest host on the podcast, Sander with Zoroark Control. Coming in seventh was Chriso Wallantis with Arceus birds so moltres baby moltres zapdos etc and coming in eighth was david rudhoff with mu genesect so sack let's go ahead and take a quick look at robin's list because this deck is cool this deck is ridiculously cool so for those who haven't seen the list it is a beautiful masterpiece there's what 22 one ofs it was 22 there's 22 mm -hmm. one ofs which include cards like cheryl sonia bird keeper Zinnia's Resolve, <laughs> Cynthia's Ambition, a card that is almost never seeing play in anything except single prizes. And Sack, I know you've got an opinion on that that I think we should talk I about. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a Snorlax, there's Metacham, of course. There's just a ton of stuff in this list, and it is incredibly cool. So I'm going to very quickly plug the pod again. Go back and listen to Robin's episode if you're wondering why cards like Cynthia, Birdkeeper, and Zinnia's are in there. He explained why he loves raw draw cards off the top as one of the most powerful ways to draw cards over research in Marnie. I think he just did a great job, and I don't want to reiterate what he already said, because it's been a good half hour explaining why this was one of the best ways to play the game in certain situations. But Zach, I know you got some thoughts, so I want to, and I know you've played the deck too. So yeah. I, want, I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this deck from Robin? Is it good? Was it a good meta call? What's going on with this deck? Have you played the deck at all? I have not played the deck at all. All right. So first things first, right? You're looking at it at 22 one ofs. The deck is uh, ridiculously hard, insanely hard to pilot. You know, you uh, have so many leads. First, you got to figure out, do I want to go first or second? And I was like listening to Pedro earlier today. He's like, I want to go second in almost every matchup, mostly for like the keep calling thing. But then as you like go throughout the game, you're like, all right, well, I have like this line of play I could take. I have this line of play I could take. I have so many different ways I could go around this matchup. And it's pretty dependent on what you prized. Like there's 22 one-offs, right? 
And of course you play Piona, but if you prized a few things, you got to like find a turn for Piona and you're like, all right, now I'm going to get this out of the prize. I got to play around this. All the while, like your opponent is like applying pressure. Like they're taking KOs. They're going Technoblast, Boss, all right, Tuna De Nova, Tekanaka, right? Doing all these things. And you're like, well, I'm going to settle for six turn, like six prize, six prize turn eventually, right? Like six, yeah. Um, but I have to play to that and like I'm doing that, I have to like not lose at the same time. So it's incredibly hard to pilot. Um, but very cool list for sure. So is there anything that stood out to you when you were playing the deck besides the like, obviously, this is incredibly hard to pilot because you have to know its prize and play around that and all these different situations. Like, can I just go rapid flow and win games or is this one going to require a little more than that? You can't just go rapid flow and win games. Like you, uh, like you set up chaos. You're like, all right, well, I'm gonna like rapid flow these two people, and then like you're gonna take a KO on my Urshifu. Cool, you took three prizes. Nice. I'm gonna yoga loop KO one of them, right? And then hopefully I can rapid flow to another, and then I'm just gonna hit you with baby Moltres in win games. Like that's usually a win con for you. Like your opponent bets two V Pokemon, you rapid flow them, you yoga loop them, or you win Gale Thrust twice on a Pokemon like a, on a V Max. Now it has 300 damage on it, and you yoga loop that, and then you go rapid flow the next turn with another Urshifu. It's like, um, you can just do Urshifu things and still win, but like all the other one-offs allow you, like I think the Galarian Moltres like swings the Mew matchup even more, like it's not favorable, right? They said like uh, Mew is a deck that they don't want to hit, but like having a Moltres package in like, your deck that can go Clara um, is just like just nuts. This is ridiculous right now against Mew. Yeah, even playing Arceus and Teleon just earlier on stream, it's just like, oh, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. But then knowing that you can go Clara for Moltres for three prizes can swing the game so much when you're able to shove something that they can't psychic leap into the active. And there's, yeah. there's some cool options that the baby Moltres lets you pull off that uh, you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I'm a big I'm a big fan of the list. Like when I look at it, it gives me and I tweeted this out. This gives me Hoopa Moltres five just like evolved. Where you're playing out of the hand with the Drizzile engine, you know, you're not doing much most turns, but then it all kind of pieces itself together to the point where your opponent realizes like, oh, wait, I'm not actually winning this game. Like, it feels like a deck that comes from behind probably every game. Like, obviously, sometimes you can just be like, well, I went first, turn two rapid flow, both sobbles, my opponent bricked or something like that, right? But... I think this is incredibly cool. I really want to play around with it. One of the cool interactions that someone tweeted out about too is Metacham lets you Raihan multiple times because yeah. it's still active going into the second turn because your opponent hasn't taken a turn yet. So you have the option to like Raihan to something and then do the play and the next turn Palpat it back, Raihan again, and then Rapid Flow. And so that's that's such a cool interaction. Definitely one of those things that I am just a fan of the deck and i wish i could speak more to it other than what i've heard robin and pedro and Tord say which is it is incredibly hard to play and it looks incredibly hard to play right like raihan reads you can play this card only if any of your pokemon were knocked out during your opponent's last turn so if they take a ko and right going to like you go like grab flow they go ko urshi and then you go yoga loop and then it's your turn again their opponent's last turn they took a knockout even though it was like technically like two turns ago and like that Raihan play like allows you to open up so many other possibilities. Yeah, being able to attach for turn, have nothing on bench of free Urshifu, attach the Rapid Strike Energy to the Metacham, and then the next turn, go ahead and rapid flow for game. Has to be one of those major win conditions against decks that are just gonna pick on your Urshifu hitting the bench. Which is a lot of them. Unfortunately, 220 HP is not that good. Yeah. Or even there's like um like there's like another card in this list that I think is huge for this list. Uh, Cynthia's Ambition. Also, it's like the same wording as Raihan. Um, do your opponent's last turn. If any of your Pokemon rocked out, do your opponent's last turn, right? Um, draw to have eight cards in hand. So, like, sometimes you're like, all right, I'm going into this Yoga Loop turn, right? I don't have a hand, right? I don't have the Raihan. I don't have the pull this off. You can go Cynthia's Ambition, right? Fill your hand up, look for those other pieces, and the next turn, still go Raihan. Or, like, go Raihan, and then I would imagine Cynthia's Ambition plays the same way as Raihan. Mm -hmm. The following turn, you can still Cynthia's Ambition fill your hand up looking for those pieces. Just, I think Cynthia's Ambition um, going forward for deck building is an insane card for any Inteleon engine deck. You just play that 
It's not somebody like you could see eight cards. You could refill your hand to eight cards when they take a KO. So like you genuinely want to go keep calling, fill your bench up, and then go like, all right, cool, KO Sable. And you're like, all right, cool. Since he's ambition for eight <laughs> or six or whatever your hand size might be at the time. I love I've had two in Hoopa Moltres for the longest time. And people are always like, what if you just play Marnie instead? It's like, but eight is a lot. Like keep calling into yeah. Drizzile to draw eight while not having to research valuable stuff is incredibly good like it's so good yeah i love cynthia's and i think moving forward people need to explore more you mentioned this in the discord pile discard discord discord about <laughs> how like jolteon is one of the decks that should start looking at cynthia's right, right. And i i love that idea so much because so many times with that deck you're like i started jolteon i'm gonna retreat keep calling and then knowing that you can next turn go Drizzile for a Cynthia, just draw a million cards while keeping like a scoop up net or a second Drizzile in your hand and know like, okay, I have one less card I need to draw off of this. The first time I encountered, like I saw how powerful Cynthia's ambition was, I was playing Mew, right? I'm playing Mew to a local tournament. I'm in top eight. I'm up against Dark Box and they're doing nothing, right? I'm just trying to like punish them with Mew to be really aggressive, but not be like, not overextend, right? Mm -hmm. And they have Sobbles in play. They would keep calling. So I took a KO on Sobble, right? And then they have like another Sobble. They top pick Drizzile. And I'm like, cool, shady dealings. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's research, right? Uh, or something like, something that draws some cards, right? Yeah. They went Cynthia's ambition for the full eight and all of a sudden they were back in the game. <laughs> I just like that. And like it's a single prize, like a single prize deck, and I'm like, oh, like I'm Mew, I'm weak to dark. This isn't good. Um, now they're back in the game. They have so many cards to work with. And from there, I was like, all right, Cynthia's good. I don't know how I can play it. I usually play Mew now, or I got play Jolteon. And then like Robin and Tord and the Limitless people come out with this list with the Cynthia's ambition to see that many cards in an Italian deck. Um, just like, what if we just any Italian deck you see out there? namely Jolteon, but like probably any Italian deck besides Suicune because they want to melee me every turn, right? Mm -hmm. um, so probably just play like a, at least like a one of, right? Like, hey, you go in like three Marnie, three research into Jolteon. How about three Marnie, two research? Because you still want to go Marnie Path, right? And then that last one just be a Cynthia's Ambition. You get to see more cards off of research and you get to save resources, which is just way cool. I think it's definitely so worth I, exploring. Yeah. I think that was the biggest takeaway from... Like, this list is really good. It's really hard to pilot, but, like, um, very chess-esque, right? Like, you're doing a lot of things with the board state, and you have to, like, plan how you're going to win, right? But I think the biggest takeaway was seeing how good Cynthia's Ambition could be in an Italian engine list, for sure. And moving forward, because I think one of the biggest things is, like, is this a real deck? I think yes, but not a real deck as in it's going to overtake others oh, no. it's not overtaking you i don't think it's overtaking arceus either like arceus is just more consistent easier to pilot very important and i don't know a manaphy and a dunsparce and arceus texas i if i'm not playing against robin i'm pretty sure i'm fine with that matchup yeah and so, so here's a hot like i was looking at this yeah um like mew won the first range right we go back to natalie also a guest on the podcast, right? Shout out to like a great podcast. <laughs> podcast. Um, won the first regionals that we had with me VMAX. The next regionals uh, won by Gengar VMAX, right? And then the right, Mew is a weak dark, Gengar, Arceus, all weak to fighting. This was like a well, like a well-timed, I guess, meta call or like well-positioned in the format, right? We got the Urshfu, big fighting poke, um, Arceus, and Gengar both weak to fighting, right? Mew, people are like, is it a trap? Is it still good? Like, how do I deal with that? And they're like, well, we have an answer to Mew now in this um, glaring Moltres. No one's playing Marnie anymore. I could build my hand. Of course, they played the Clara, so they can go Moltres out of nowhere, right? And your Urshfu, you beat the Arceus decks that aren't playing Dunsparce because they weren't like respecting fighting. Mm -hmm. If they do respect the fighting, you can still beat them. Right? I think it was just very well positioned. People know about the list now, right? Going in. No one saw this before. Right? There's 22 one ups. How do you ever see this? Like, I've seen content creators be like, oh, yeah, I was thinking about Urshifu all last week. Like, how could we come up with it? And my list wasn't even close to what Robin played, right? Like, I, like I've seen multiple streamers say that. Mm -hmm. It's like, of course, like, you could play Urshifu, right? You couldn't come up with this. So I think it was just like, well timed. You did it. You got your one uh, tournament win. Um, next one going forward, right? EUIC, not happening, right? not going to be placed in the meta. Don't have to worry about it. It's, it's like a one and done, I think. I think it'll be interesting too. So 
uh, for whatever reason, Pokemon community has completely ignored. We have a regional in Brazil this upcoming weekend with oh, a stream, yeah. <laughs> too, which is super cool. A stream and no commentary, but people will restream it with commentary. Don't worry about that. But uh, if Mew ends up winning that tournament, that would be incredibly interesting because that kind of continues this exact thing that you just mentioned of like Mew won, then Gengar won, then Urshifu won. And then when it comes back to Mew, I'm wondering if uh, if we can uh, make some conclusions from that. But I'm excited for that one. I'm a big fan of Brazilian deck builders. Uh, Gustavo and Joao are amazing deck builders, and they come up with some really cool stuff, even if it's just minor tweaks to good archetypes. So I am hyped to see what they come up with and what comes out of Brazil this upcoming weekend. Let's talk to about, to go off the Cynthia's thing, Rapid Strike Malamar. So got second and sixth place, including Joe going 9-0 on day one which is amazing. Both of these played the Inteleon engine. I think the Inteleon engine is just better. Sack, I don't know if you prefer Sinchino over Inteleon. I try to stay away from Malamar. That's okay. Correction. <laughs> That's my primary motivation. Every time I try, it's like always like, oh, this deck is so good. And then I Cynthia into my boss and ordinary rod. And it's like, oh, well, I missed the KO. And then it just kind of snowballs downhill from there. That might've been your biggest problem, right? You're playing boss. Neither of these two lists played boss. Well, actually, the, uh, the second place list played boss. Yeah, yeah, second one. But Joe didn't play boss. But Joe did play and, escape rope instead of boss. Yeah, so same which I think is uh, really nice uh, that he plays escape rope now because you can go escape rope and Cynthia in the same turn, which might be better than boss. I could see it. There's definitely one of those things that like it's still not a rapid strike card, so it's still not Cynthiaing into an Oko on a Charmed Arceus or. A Mu V Max or whatever. That's the bigger. That's the biggest killer. It's like he's drawn to like the cards you don't need, and then it's like, oh, I I just can't win. It feels so bad. But gosh, the power level of the deck is so ridiculous. We've seen online tournaments have Rapid Strike Malamar become the most played deck, or essentially tied with Mew. So what are some meta predictions? Is Rapid Strike Malamar the deck that's just like the fun, casual, let's mess around deck? And so that's why it's seeing so much play in the online tournaments. And when IRL like uh, EUIC or Indianapolis come around, people are going to shy away from it and go back. Or what are your thoughts on like the meta share of Rapid Strike Malamar moving forward? Are people going to cling to it or is it going to people going to chicken out? Well, I think it does like Malamar in itself. The Pokemon Malamar has like a negative connotation because like the Tina Malamar right deck is like, hey, we're gonna play Malamar and then it breaks, and you're like, well, no, nah, I don't want to play Malamar again because it's like this is the same Pokemon, just yeah. two different cards, right? I but, like, that, that's I me. Say, that fits me perfectly. <laughs> same, right? That's why I don't play Malamar. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm don't want to touch it. But what I did play a lot of was Blounds, right? Like Pidgey Blounds, Green Blounds, whatever, like the Welder type. Like, I'm in on that one. And this is, I think, like, the same thing, just in a different package differently, right? It's like Malamar and then Blounds, same thing, same guard deck, right? Uh, so I think, like, you should respect it. It's very cheap, and, like, the people that are just getting to the game, like, I could pick that up. Like, going to Limitless, it costs you $28.40 like <laughs> to buy the entire deck, right? That's, like, the same price as an Arceus right now, or the same price as a Mew VMAX. You want to buy one v, like Mew VMAX, or do you want to by an entire 60 card deck um, that you can play with that tournament. So I think it's gonna, people are still gonna play it. It's pretty easy to pick up and you, know, you gotta respect it because it can do 300 damage turn two out of nowhere. <laughs> Shout out to the copy pasta that pulls itself around occasionally, which I'm always gonna be a fan of the copy pasta because 300 damage is impossible for Malamar to hit. And the fact that the person who tweeted that out originally put 300 on it just makes the meme so much better. It's so good. But yeah, the fact it can and, Oko turn two. And like you said, it's not a good player is way scarier with the deck, but sometimes you can just Cynthia into eight rapid strike yeah. cards and just blow up anything. Right. Like uh I've been told like lately that like Mew is incredibly hard to pilot at this skill level is like way up there. You gotta like know how to sequence, know what cards to keep, know when to stop playing cards, right? I think like, Malamar's the same thing, mm -hmm. especially the Inteleon engine, right? Like, all right, what do I shitty dealings for this turn? Like, what do I, what resources do I need to keep? What resources can I put back? Do I, I overextend on the damage this turn so I can draw more cards next turn because I got to find this card, right? And like, it's all that part of the, the shitty dealings. 
um, which I think is ridiculous because you have to like know what resource to go get and when to get them as opposed to like the Mencino version where you're just like, ah, I guess I'll just make two away this non-Rampstrike card and go try two more cards and hopefully the Rampstrike Pokemon <laughs> or Rampstrike cards so I can do more damage. Um, so I think like once you pick it up and you like get into it, you can like realize how high that skill cap is and then um, that's why like people like Joe, right, who've been playing Malamar type did really well with it. That's why the deck can be really good. Because it takes a lot of skill to pile with it well. It is one of those decks, though, that I think to go off the. It, I agree 100%, right? But uh, for those of people who. And this is myself included. One of the reasons I didn't want to touch Mew for Salt Lake is it takes a lot of skill, and I haven't tested against every counter in the world. I don't think Malamar's ever going to have that target on its back that Mew has. And so you no. have the advantage of you can maybe misplay some matchups and. You can get punished for sure, but it's a little less scary to play perfectly because if a Mew player misplays once, you bet your opponent's played that matchup a million times and will punish that misplay. Mally, you misplay once. Eh, I tested against Mally three times and it felt fine, right? And so (laughs) it's less likely to get punished against most players in the world. Yeah. It's definitely one of those decks for sure. And then last one I for sure want to talk about, although I know you've got more you want to talk about, is Sanders Zoroark Control List. I love this thing. I am not a huge control player. I do enjoy it, but I'm not the person who's like, we need control. It's the best thing in the world. But it is absolute genius, some of the pieces in here. So I cannot go over everything in here because I don't know. I didn't invent the deck, but we did theory it a fair amount in the Discord to figure out what's going on. So essentially, you have the not decking out with the Eldegoss loop into Altaria. So you run your opponent out of resources, you boss stall stuff, and then you have this Team Yells cheer. Shuffle any combination of, shuffle three of any combination of Pokemon and supporters back into your deck from your discard pile. Combined with the Eldegoss and Float Up, guarantees you never deck out. And I think that is absolute genius. And I never thought of that because before you were playing the more Pico, you know, put a trainer or put an item card from your discard pile into your hand. And then we're like, oh, you play Floatzel. Put two item cards from your discard pile into your hand. And you just put back Palpad. And then that was incredibly slow. And you had this thing up there that could get knocked out if your opponent top decked a switch because you had no way to stop that. And so being able to float up into the Altaria, which is very awkward for most decks in the format to deal with. I'll get to Mew, don't worry. Uh, you know, Inteleon has maybe shady dealings, and then this man plays a pot helmet specifically for that. So against shady dealings Inteleon and Arceus, you put the pot helmet on your Altaria, it takes 30 less damage, it doesn't get O-code by shady dealings Inteleon, and then you can Sharon's Care loop between your Altarias, because you play the two Swablus, to continually not get KO'd and eventually get into the boss stall or eventually your boss stall sticks or something like that. And I think it is just such a well thought out deck and I love it. And really quickly on the, but what about Mew gets through Altaria? Uh, you just kind of Eveltal and hammer and Flannery them until <laughs> hopefully they lose the game. <laughs> it's so simple. It's genius. Like Sandra was like, I can play more Pico and Floatzel and all this. Like, like he's tried that before. You've seen that stream where he's like, he's got a Berserker in the active. He's trying to discard item cards out of his opponent's hand. And you're like, all right, cool. And then like Sandra comes out with this. You're like, what if I just float up into Altaria and they can't beat me? What if I add a pot helmet for those Inteleon decks? Right? You're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so simple. And another key part of the deck, this one, $32. You want to play this one? Doesn't cost you anything, right? Everything's cheap in you. But like it's so simple, but it's probably like incredibly hard to pilot. Yeah, like, I, I would I, bet this is probably harder than a Robin's list to pilot. For sure. Like you gotta know, like there's so many other things in here that like, going on. Like, what does this cutify do, right? Well, not the cutify, because it just evolves into Robombi, right? But like what does the Robombi do, right? Oh, moving an energy card from your opponent's active Pokemon to one of their bench Pokemon. And it does 30. The last time I used that card or looked at card at that card was a pre-release, and I still have my pre-release deck right here from Evolving Skies. Right, that was the last time I looked at. And like Sanders, like, yo, what if I play this and move your energy from like your Telmeon, your Mew, or something to or your Malamar, right? Because I think it, like, um, 
I think Malamar was like a difficult one um, to play against, right? So you like move the energy off the Malamar to like an artillery or something that can't attack, <laughs> or like just keep moving it to the bench, so, like, or move like a psychic energy off the Mew to a Genesect. Like, okay, that works too. And I would have like never thought of that, but that's like so simple. It's just great. I love the Rabombi when and shout out to Alex Cook, former again multiple times on the podcast, who booked his Salt Lake City ticket for the wrong weekend, but. His answer in Zoroark box for Duraludon was the Rabombi. You just move all their fighting energies away <laughs> to the Arceus and hope that eventually they can't attack and you can just deck them out. But uh, it's a very cool card. It ended up being actually super good because Dexes don't play enough energies and you can punish it so hard. You know, you have that opponent who's like, I'm smart. I'm going to put an energy on everything so you can't boss stall it. And they just go, boss, rebombe the energy away. And they're like, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> that is uh, very unfortunate. Yeah. It's so simple, but like once you like kind of figure out what's going on, you're like, oh, I can beat that. So like I'm curious to see like how Sanders match slips filled out. Was it like 1 0 or was it 2 0? Like how many games did he actually play um, in his best of threes? And like I would imagine like you sit down from Sanders, you're like, all right, control, right? You got to think about it. But then. You just like might end up playing into one of these strands and you goes like, well, I'm Sander. I'm going to like learn how to like, I know this matchup more than you do. And here's my odds to what you just did. But like, I think I hit Sander Thursday on the ladder um, before uh, Liverpool. And like, I know it's Sander, you can see his name, it's very familiar. You're like, oh, cool. Um, I know how to play this because it's going to be control. And I just went Arceus, like a lone Arceus active. He went on to, into Alteria, which I just boss around it. Right. And then I, I ran out of bosses and my pal pads. I think a very interesting thing uh, with these lists, most of them are cutting boss. Like there's like only like two counts of boss and a pound pad. And like, all right, Alteria is great now. But then you're like, all right, cool. So I can't get around Alteria anymore. Then you go into the Italian. And he's like, all right, well, I play Corvice. Opponents ramps like Pokemon to play have no abilities. It kind of slows them down. I think there's one that it costs one more, right? Or, yeah, yeah. there's uh, the other, the fish bra one, or whichever one's fish bra. Yeah, there's one Ram Strike don't have abilities, the other one single strike Pokemon cost one colorless more to attack. Right. So you turn off quick shooting, right? And then you play a pot helmet to the duelist damage. You're like, well, this isn't good. Uh, <laughs> so like all of you had so many outs. So when you like sit down, you don't know like how to play against it. Um, it can be a very difficult matchup for you for sure. And like once, uh, once you know how to play against the deck, I think you'd be all right. You'd have to like know what the matchup looks like first uh, going into it. And the cool thing about, well, I'm going to say yeah. cool, and listeners are going to disagree, but the cool thing moving forward for EUIC and uh, where's it, Indianapolis, is it's closed deck lists. No control oh. player worth anything is going to take Sanders exact 60. They're going to make changes that you are not ready yeah. for. And for sure. that's one of those things where, like you said, if you know how to play the matchup, it's good because then you can play around this couple things like what about this what about this what about this but you can never be fully prepared for control which is super cool or super not cool i'll let you decide listeners <laughs> all right zach do you have any other thoughts on any of the top eight decks or anything you want to go back to um, yeah, there's one last one that i was like a big fan of and i think that was the rc's italian one um, that played Crobat V, right? You're like, oh, cool. Arceus Italian, we've seen it with Crobat, with Luminion, or just straight Arceus Italian with like a 1 1 Barbaro line. Mm -hmm. This one played a Crobat V and a Crobat V Max, and that's how they did it. Of course, you played the Clara, all right? A, I think there's more Clara in the top eight um, list than there are Marnie played. I think there was like three Clara to two Marnie um, total. Don't quote me on that. I think there might be a different count to Clara, but. Uh, this one also played the Clara, uh, the baby Canary Moltres, and a 1 1 Crobat V and V Max. So they can see more cards of a Crobat with a dark asset. And then up against Mew, they could actually just accelerate to the Crobat V and evolve into the Crobat, uh, Crobat V Max and then KO Mew because it does 180 in the hit for weakness. I thought that was really cool, uh, really neat just to see that like someone decided to play Crobat V Max in their deck and they got top eight in, like a, in a format where Mew hasn't gone away, right? That is a heck of a pokey stat. I'm just looking at it right now. And yes, there's three Claras, one Marty. There's also only four research and yet three Claras. Oh, and uh, there should be two Marty, I believe. Right. 
Oh, who else had the second uh, Marnie? Uh, I think oh, there's the one in each Arceus deck. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, two Marnies and three Claras. And if you want to count yeah. Cynthia's, that's a little unfair because both Malamars played two, but there were eight Cynthia, nine Cynthia's because of the Rapid Strike. So yeah. uh, Cynthia's Ambition, Broken Card, Research Trash, confirmed. So this is like where the um, like the deck building part of me comes out. I'm like, that's that's nuts, right? There was two Marnie played and one Judge. That's it. There was, <laughs> uh, one Marnie, one Judge in the Arceus Crobat list, I believe. That was the one that played Judge. And then the other Arceus, uh, Italian, uh, Arceus Moltres, Arceus Moltres, it, with the Barrel, also played one Marnie. And then there was uh, one Palpad in each deck, I believe. Is it Palpad in this one? Yeah, one Palpad in, in this one. So you total like hand disruption could be six times mm-hmm. for all of top eight, right? Because <laughs> you could Palpad back in the Marnie, so that's three. And then two, yeah, three more for the other ones. Maybe seven. Seven total hand disruptions. So in a, like a format where like... Um, Mew doesn't play Marnie or uh, Malamar, you're like, I need to keep the Rapture Pokemon in my hand. I don't want to like disrupt my hand. I want to take a big KO next turn, right? Or against like Arceus Italian like list that are the only ones playing Marnie, like I get to keep this Drizzile actually so I get thin. Or even against like um, Robin's first place list where you're like, well, I need all these pieces to like, put together this giant chessboard and take a KO and like go Rapid Flow to Yoga Loop into Rapid Flow or into um, Moltres. It was seven total times that you can disrupt your opponent's hand in top eight. That thing is just, that's, that's nuts. That's just ridiculous. Um, like, why is no one's playing hand disruption anymore? So then you're like, all right, so more Cynthia, um, more Suicune might show up, right? Cause you go Melanie, you get to find your cross switches, you get to find your red candy, Ludicolo, you get to build on your hand. Um, so I think uh, decks like that could like make an appearance if no one's playing hand disruption mm-hmm. or you go the other way and you're like, all right, no one's playing Marnie, no one's playing Judge, and it really worked because um, everyone got to keep their hand, everyone got to play the game how they wanted to. We could go back the other way too, right? We could see a more like Marnie-heavy format, right? Like, well, no one's playing hand disruption. Um, I'm actually going to play more Marnie so you don't get to keep your hand and it'll slow you down and really disrupt you out of the game or like more Judge. I don't know why you played Judge, but like you could play someone play Judge. There was as ma- almost as many Judge as there were Marnie. <laughs> So you could play Judge, but I think the uh, format could go in that direction too. But that also thinks like, does Hand Disrupt even work then? Like if I'm playing Marnie, is that actually going to do anything? If I'm going to disrupt your hand, is that going to do anything? You're just going to see your entire hand again or your entire deck again with like the likes of Genesect or the likes of Cynthia's Ambition, I am going to see eight. So I think that's a pretty neat to look at as well for a top eight. That's such a cool point that I completely missed when I was looking over everything and kind of makes me question everything about the format right now. Of Just like, if there's less Marnie, and I said it's someone who just played PTCGO and got Marnie out of game literally half the games. So <laughs> clearly the PTCGO ladder doesn't agree, but <laughs> when it actually matters, it seems like people are cutting the Marnies, which means there's a lot to play around with, but we'll probably get into that more in a future episode, I think. But that's a good food for thought that I now have to digest, Zach. I noticed it after Salt Lake when I saw a Suicune one, right? I went into the Salt like I didn't go to Salt Lake, but if I did, I would not have been worried about Suicune. No. Um, I saw the thing on Twitter was like, oh yeah, Suicune's favorite against Mew. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> and then I think about it like, no one in this format's playing Marnie. That's why Suicune, that version of Suicune, that list of Suicune did so well. Like no one ever played Marnie. They just went Melanie, 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 Raihan, Melanie, right? Over and over again, and they got the builder hand to find their cross switchers, their rare candy Lucellos. That was great for them. I was like, well, how do you beat Suicune? We could just like play Jolteon, right? Or we could just mining them a few times. They'll never build their hands to never get the ridiculous combos off. Then me like maybe you look at the format as like a whole, like, man, a lot of decks aren't playing Marnie. Like people are cutting they're like one Marnie and a Palpad. Mew not playing Marnie. Mm-hmm. Or like just cutting Marnie all together in like in favor of other things. Like Alamar. Right. We just talked about how good it could be in the format, how cheap it is, how accessible it is. $28, right? Um, also not playing Marty. So right. I think that was kind of key to note over the last few tournaments is uh, the lack of hand disruption going on. Are you ready to get into some questions from Twitch chat? Oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. So let's go with question number one. Belfast, can we make our own tournament circuit because TPCI keeps throwing the Europeans out with the bathwater? Do you think the online scene is going to start to come back if we uh, can't get into regionals and ICs? 
Mm, that's tough. Like we already have online tournaments, right? Like, um, like Limitless does a great job with their tournament website. Mm-hmm. It's great, but there's so many tournaments going on. It's like, which one do I play? In? Which ones are I like? Which ones um, have validation? Right? Like, there's quality players in that tournament. There's a lot of people there because you could win whatever tournament on a Wednesday night that has four people. But like, they only had four people. I'm looking for like tournaments where like top players are in all the time. And I think a Pokemon put together something like that, you definitely can happen. Like one of the things I was hoping that when live came out, we'd have like online tournament play. Like that's how uh, Pokemon Unite is kind of based around. They, uh, it's through the client itself. Let's like on the Switch, you play it well, through Unite. Like for the trading card game, you have to go somewhere and play it in a tournament, mm-hmm. right, with the physical cards. But like Unite, they play on the Switch and they play over internet. Like Pokemon could do that. I was hoping they would do it live, but like we don't currently have that. But maybe we could if there weren't so many different tournaments and there was a big enough organizer to put one together and took it seriously and had prizes for it at the end of it. I think it's interesting. I was just looking at Limitless as you were saying that. I'm like the number of tournaments is still massive. Hundred percent agree. The number Same. of players is like dis going down. Like as yeah. I'm looking at this, like obviously the late night is still pretty big with over two hundred people, but otherwise, like the one that ran this morning, Excalibur was fifty six. They've definitely hit a little under a hundred to a little over a hundred. Sometimes there's one running right now on a Tuesday night. Normally, random Tuesday night tournaments gonna get a hundred people, and it's got forty five. Yeah. So the numbers are just like going down. I have to go down a lot to find another hundred person tournament that's not the late night. Yeah, you have to go back to Yosefi <laughs> on March twenty fourth, almost a week ago. And I'm wondering, there's no way it's format. Well, there is a way it's format fatigue, but it feels like this format's still interesting enough that. I wonder what's happening to the online scene and if it's going to see a resurgence if people can't get back to IRL or if it's going to keep dying with live as people try and switch over. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot that you said, but I just want to throw out the numbers of it sure seems like it's going down. And I wonder what that means. Here are my thoughts on that, right? Yeah. Um, live came out. And once you're in live, like there was, I think there was a Pokemon TCG live tournament. Like, hey, you're in live. Let's put together a tournament. And there was like, 10 people like all right so we're splitting our player base from people that are alive that can't play against people on ptcgo um so i think live kind of took away a lot of players like you know like azul one of the bigger if you don't know who like azul is he's a bigger content creator in the community um he transferred to live migrated to live and since then hasn't played in a pokemon trading card game online tournament on limitlist since he migrated that's one of the biggest content creators um and the community hasn't played in a tournament and like that. Like I've played I've definitely played in tournaments that like Azul's played in just to play in a tournament that Azul's played in before. So I think like something like that, like, oh live came out, no one wants to play or people can't play from live against PTCGO, so they're not gonna play as many tournaments. IRL plays back too. And then also there's so many of them, it's like, well, which one do I play in? And like I could play in this one that has a hundred people, or I could like play in this one which is better prizes and only thirty people. So I think I'll just play in the one with smaller, and then now we have split tournaments. Jack Lucksack asks thoughts about the third place Mew Arceus deck. So recently, Japan had a I want to say it's called a Champions League, one of their big tournaments, and coming in third place, Sack. I'm gonna read you off some of this list. You've played Mew, so you know. I I have thoughts, but I think you might be more optimistic than me. So the third place list played a 4-3 Mew line, 4 Genesect, 1 Oricorio. Normal. They also played a 2-1 Arceus line, a Pumpkaboo, and a Zigzagoon. In addition to that, their supporter line was 3 Boss, 1 Raihan, 3 Marnies. No Fusion Strike Energies, no Meloetta, no Elisa Sparkle. Their energy count was four double turbos and six metal energies. Zach, can you sell me on Mew Arceus being an absolutely broken deck and that this person who got third place has broken the meta that we do not understand yet in the rest of the world? So this was a Japanese tournament. Mm -hmm. A few things to note about the Japanese tournament is that they're best of ones. Um, so the standard best of three that we're used to for like regionals, internets, 
not a thing for Japanese turns. Best of one, and there's no ties. If you guys don't have a winner at the end of time, it's a double game loss. So I think that's interesting to take in the format, and it makes things a lot faster, and it makes, um, I think, var I would say variance a good way to like look at the game. Like My opponent can break, um, right? and I could just get very lucky uh, throughout best of one series in nine rounds. I've done it before, right? I've gone seven and two, whatever, like undefeated in a tournament, playing just the worst stuff ever, right? It's the best of one. It's great. I can draw very well, and you can do nothing. Um, so I think taking that into account, um, you could get very lucky, or you could be like, I'm going to best of one. I'm going to starbirth, and it's going to work, and I'm going to search for the piece that I'm looking for. Because all you need is a turbo energy, right? You um, day with Mew and do hit with Arceus. You can um, then search out the rest of the pieces with Starbirth if you go like Genesect for five, because once uh, Arceus is in play, um, you can only drop to five with Genesect if the rest of your Pokemon to play your Fusion Strike energies. But I think the Starbirth is like, I'm going to find the rest of my consistency and I'm just going to beat you with that. And so I think that's probably the best way to look at it. You have Marnie for like additional draw. So you can go like Genesect, draw a bunch of cards, Marnie, draw a bunch of cards, Starbirth for the rest of the pieces. You can also, also actually attack with Arceus itself. Um, right, you have the turbo energy. Um, this one's not playing charm, so like charm doesn't really help Arceus live, but it plays the choice belt. Um, you have the boss, you have the you play the goon to go scoop up that uh goon ping, hit something for 220. Uh, with the Arceus, which is also very good if you go first, you go turn to boss KO on a V Pokemon, uh, with Starworth and Arceus, and you can accelerate to either Mew itself or you can accelerate to Genesect. Like, uh, you can hit for metal weakness against like, things like Ice Rider, which I think is very good in Japan right now. Um, Arceus Ice Rider. Or you can find your power times later to a big KO with that. So I think that could make the deck good, but I don't think it, uh, I don't see it being very good over here in NA. But I think it was kind of neat. Um, I tried it myself and just just uh, <laughs> I could I could have made it happen because like oh, what am I starbirthing for? That I'm not just drawing like just raw drawing with uh, Genesect or Road on Phone or Chromatic or what have you, but. Um, Arceus itself can be very good. I, I think yesterday was today, Tuesday. Yesterday I played Arceus, uh, Meowth Vmax, and that won a few games, right? Just because it played Arceus. <laughs> like, Arceus is bad broken in itself that um, Arceus and anything could win a few decks, uh, a few games. Arceus and anything could win a few games. So, I'm going to keep this short. I hate yeah. this deck. It's not great, but those those are the selling points. You can start with for two pieces, and Arceus is that broken, and Mew is that broken. You can just put them together. And best of one format as well. I, I hate it so much. I I don't know. Like, Sack already explained why yeah. it got third place. And the only, only redeeming quality of this deck to me is Google Translate translates it to God Mew. And I think oh, that yeah. is a great deck name. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I'm not sold. I will not be sold. I watched Sack try and play Arceus Mew, and exactly like he said, it did nothing because Mew has what it wants pretty much every turn anyway. Asian Ninja Evan asks, what was your daily routine like during a regional championship weekend? So Sack, what are you doing on, say, a Saturday of a regional? So... Standard regional. This is probably my exact plan for indie. Because uh, I'm going to go to indie. We already have booked. Haven't registered yet. Hopefully I get in when it opens up. But this is my plan for indie, right? We're going to leave. We're going to drive there. It's an eight-hour drive for us. I'm going to leave at the uh, crack of dawn, right? Six in the morning, seven in the morning. However soon we're going to get up and leave. We're going to drive there. It's going to be great. We're going to be blasting music. Talking about um, put on like meta forecast, I guess. Meta forecast. Whatever like people come out with. Any podcast that are talking about the regionals. That's what I always do when I'm driving by myself. Um, it's just meta forecast all day long. Take it to the venue, check in, get the swag stuff, you know, like the little backpack. You might get the play mat, um, the keychain to go with it, whatever you need to check in. Um, and then after that, I'm looking at vendors all day long. Any bulk, any vendors, any cards that I need, right? Um, all day long. We go get dinner at like seven or so. Um, after we're just kind of tired out or sorted through all the bulk where they close the venue. And then from probably seven or eight after dinner to the rest of the night, all we're doing is testing like all day long. Like that's, that's my plan. That's my routine. Um, and we submit our deck list at like probably three in the morning, once we find out, figure out the 59th, 60th card. 
and then just kind of go to bed on three hours of sleep, four hours of sleep, get up in the morning, a little bit of breakfast, go to the venue, just kind of hang out till round one starts. Yeah, that's it. Play round one. That that sounds about right. Like you, yeah. well, I never drive. I've driven to Vancouver. Will be the third <laughs> regional I've ever driven to. Otherwise, I'm always on a plane. But uh, yeah. yeah, you fly. But you fly in. You live out west, though. Yeah, it's it's not good for competitive Pokemon. Well, the locals yeah. are great. The regional schedule is miserable for us. Yeah, for me, I live in the Midwest. We can drive to a lot of tournaments. I'm always super jealous. <laughs> uh, wake up in the morning. Usually skip breakfast. Uh, just go to the event. I want to get there ASAP. I am an early person. When I stayed with Locke and Grant in the same hotel, I was like, I'm leaving at this time. And they're like, no. And so I left alone because <laughs> I'm like, I want to get there early <laughs> and make sure that I'm good to go there. And yeah. Other than that, I will I will happily just sit there and do nothing until people that I know come up to me. And that usually happens. Washington rolls pretty deep every regional we go to. If you live are a Washington local, be sure to go to Tabletop Village, join the squad. And any regional you go to, you have friends, I promise. But uh, yeah, usually just hang out with them, chat. And then once around one starts, we get going and you play Pokemon all day. And then after that. You either you go out to dinner or whatever with the friends, and then you crash immediately. I'm not a partier, like, at all. You go hang out with the friends, go get dinner, you go complain or celebrate, whichever is applicable, sometimes both. And then you go to bed. I wish there was more free time, but nope. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of free time. It's so, like, weird, like, originals. Like, once you get to the venue or, like, the hotel... Like, Madison was great because it was, like, the hotel was attached to the venue. You just, like, you didn't leave. Like, outside of the hotel doors, of the venue doors, the world just didn't exist. You show up, you get there, and then, like, it's all Pokemon <laughs> from the time you get there to the time you leave. Like, you show up, Pokemon, talk Pokemon, you go play around one, cool, you talk Pokemon. Afterwards, you go wash your hands, come back. <laughs> Everyone's just hanging out, right? If you're the first one done, you're, like, just walking around trying to find your teammates. And then once everyone's done, you're like, how'd your round go? They discuss Pokemon. You listen. You tell them about how your round went. You talk more Pokemon. Round two's up. You go play around. You do the same thing, right? And then the lunch break comes out. You're like, all right, cool, lunch break. Can't wait to get back to more Pokemon, right? And then you got to take a break, go find some food, and then back to more Pokemon all day long. Like, you make day two, great. Everyone's watching you um, if you didn't make day two. And then this food and Pokemon is so good. So good. Going off, going off that, real quick, this wasn't a tip question, but I'm going to offer a tip that happened in Salt Lake that I almost forgot, and that is set a meeting place with your friends. Like, the little group you're going to meet up with, I think the best thing to do, like, the whole Washington crew was like, we're going to meet at table 373 after every round, and we did, and it was so nice knowing where to go, knowing where to go sit, and just be like, all right, this is where the homies are going to be. If I'm done late, they're already there waiting. If I'm done early, they are going to come to me. So do that every chance you get. Like at a regional, just be like, let's all meet here afterwards. And it just makes it so nice to know where everyone is going to be. Here's my workaround for that is um, I'm on a, like a local team here. We have team jerseys. Our jerseys are this uh, bright green color. So like you just see you're gonna see me in this bright green color just walking around with a bunch of like other like five of us in the same bright green color. Um and that's how we figure out where we are. But if yeah, of course, if you don't have something like that, you should for sure probably come up with a beauty place. Like, hey, we're gonna go meet over by like the water fountains, by table one, by like the probably the posters that they have standing up, right? We're gonna be like, hey, you wanna go oh, meet uh by the Pikachu, something like that, just uh to not like, wandering the entire place. Because usually, like, phone service doesn't work that well. Like, the internet that you try to connect to doesn't work that well. True. At the venue, you're like, you can't ever text anybody. You can't call anybody. You only use it to check your pairings. You can't ever plug your phone in, right? If you, like, go up there and, like, you're on your phone all day, there's, like, no place to charge your phone unless you bring, like, another battery. And uh, you don't want to be on your phone too much because you for pairings. So have a medium place. It's a good recommendation. Brett Sills asks, do you think people will go back to more spread? So thinking Urshifu and Jolteon being the spread decks, since Mali has proven itself now to be a force to be reckoned with. So do you expect to see more Urshi and Jolteon? I cannot think of another spread deck. Am I wrong? 
That's all I got. Okay, so do you expect to see more of those decks moving forward with, like, single prizers starting to become... Well, Mally's just very good, with a tier one deck being a single prize deck. So, like, you mentioned uh, Brazil is coming up next weekend, right? Um, I was thinking, like, is this Jolteon's time to win? Like, maybe. It hasn't seen any... Um, it hasn't had any good placements, I guess, is the best way to put it, in any of the tournaments. I mean, it got top uh, eight, technically, at uh, Salt Lake City. Actually, yep, got, technically got ninth. Uh, <laughs> and eighth. Um, so, like, with uh, Jolteon playing... Like, not too many people playing Manaphy. Jolteon playing Path, which is very good in the format right now. And I think Marnie was huge. It could be huge. Like, all right, cool. People aren't respecting Hand Disruption. It could, it could go Marnie Path. I don't know if Hand Disruption even matters anymore because they just draw out of it all the time. But, like, Marnie Path could be great. I could see Jolteon being very good. And I kind of wanted to try the inclusion of the Cynthia. And I think Jolteon could make a comeback. Just to, like, hey, these are some tools I'm working with. And uh, here's how I'm going to do it. So... Hand Disruption, Panth, and I think Cynthia could put Jolteon over the top and could actually see like a decent finish. I like this. The Cynthia and Jolteon seems really cool. I'm a big fan. I tested Jolteon a lot for Salt Lake City. I actually played more games of Jolteon than with the deck that I played because of how hype I was on it until it's just like I got mewed for 300 a little too many times. And yeah. a Skilled at Luck in chat has also mentioned the one deck that we forgot. We've already mentioned Rapid Strike, but Dragapult is technically a spread deck. And Dragapult feasts on these Inteleon engines that are all over the place. So you think Polt could be a real deck to make a comeback, or is the anti-Mew dark decks just too all over the place for it? So Mew is so good that I can deal with it to dark things, right? You have like Meloetta, you have Psychic Leap, you have all the other stuff. Mew can like um, has at its disposal to deal with dark. Polt is uh <laughs> 130 to be active, put five damage counters to your opponent's bench Pokemon. That's what Pult is. Can't deal with anything. There's no, like, Meloetta, you have, like, Jet Assault. That's it. You're just one Dragapult. Still weak to dark Pokemon. <laughs> Still gives up three prizes. Um, no tools to work with besides Inteleon, Jet Assault, and uh, stuff like that. So you can, like, Chaos Humble, but they'll get you eventually. Yeah, if Pult had any other weakness, I think it would actually be a very good deck right now. But the problem is... Everything is playing some Mew Dark counter. Oh, not everything, but like so many things are. I don't think it beats enough. Like, right. the, I've played a lot of Hoopa Moltres, and when you play that much of a deck, you run into Dragapult on the PTCGO ladder, and they could demolish my entire board. It wouldn't matter. I had to attack twice <laughs> to win the game. And so it's good... But the unfortunate weakness, if Mew gets less of a target on its back or people counter Mew with Path instead of Dark stuff, I could see Polt making a comeback. But until then, nah. It's, this ain't your time, Polt. This ain't your time. You have to go into the forum and be like, I'm going to game plan for Mew and then this is how. And then you hit Dragapult, you're like, I can just do the same thing. And it's a lot easier. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, they have to attack with their three prizers cool yeah like i don't have to ko a meloetta and then worry about the psychic leap and yeah jack Luxack asks do you think that various arceus lists can run the robin engine and on the flip side professor or the same professor poke asks, do you think intellion engine with peonia and clara will see more play moving forward similar to robin's list so do you think robin's list is going to influence arceus decks and other intellion decks the 22 one ofs with Sonia, Clara, Piona, Cynthia, um, and all that stuff, like Birdkeeper, probably not going to go into the uh, Arceus kind of version of it, um, because like all those things had a very specific uh, function in the Arceus build, and like just Arceus doesn't really do those things that Arceus does. So probably not. But I think there's like some key things, like I said earlier, like the Cynthia um, that could be taken away and put into the Arceus next. I think I think there's a lot to explore moving forward. And I think your mention of no one almost no one's playing Marnie is gonna make a pretty big like impact on that because a card like Peonia is awful. But if you know you're not gonna get Marnied, it's not that bad. You can go into your prizes, get the card you need, maybe it's a supporter for next turn. So I could see something like that coming back into play. I'm already a fan of Clara. I love that thing. I'm go gonna go buy some full art so it's easier to prize check for. I love that stupid card. I love the baby Moltres. It's so nice. So it's so nice. 
like I'm starting to be a big fan of it just because you can play like Arceus is colorless, right? Mm-hmm. Moltres dark. Here's all right, cool. I can use my dark energies on my Arceus, <laughs> and then I can play a one one Moltres and a couple dark energies and a Clara, and I can still play the water energies. This is what the what the seventh place listed. Mm-hmm. They played water energies. They played captures. They played dark energies. Clara, or it, actually, it was might have been the um, the Crowbell list that did this, right? And they just have that. Um, the dark package with Clara. Clara is so nice uh, just to be able to include that in a deck, and now you have a decent chance against Mew. It also feels so nice to be able to Sharon's a three energy, a three dark energy Arceus into a fresh Arceus, and then Moltres all those energies right onto the field and be like, all right, opponent, what you got? Right. All you need is a pivot. All you need is an air balloon. And now your Arceus that had 310 HP took damage from the Mew, turned into a baby Moltres worth one prize, and it's hitting for God knows how much to get to a Mew Max. Right? Who knows how much? It just hits into the Mew Max. Could t- KO a Mew Max. You went from like, all right, I got a two-shot this Arceus to being, they just O-code me off of a Charon and a uh, baby Moltres because you can't disrupt your hand. They just get to keep that combo in your hand forever. Yeah, I think the TLDR is, I think Robin's List is going to inspire people to try this type of stuff, for sure. We're already yeah. brainstorming it. <laughs> Carried away sometimes, my bad. And Gyroscope Evie asks, what is the best Skittles flavor? Uh, Skittles all taste the same. So, fun biology fact from the anatomy teacher, and we're going to be doing this lab after spring break, in fact. Uh, they do all taste the same. They just have different smells that trick you into thinking that they taste different. So, Can we do Starburst as an alternate? The best Starburst flavor? Starburst also all taste the same, but yes. Pink. Pink. Pink, pink, red, yellow, orange. Just Starburst. Hmm. I'm going to say... What's the least sour Starburst? They're all like really sour. They hurt to eat. I hate Starburst. I yeah. love them and hate them at the same time. The best part of getting Starburst was to open up like the little two packs that come in, right? And getting double pink and just like bullying other people because they got double orange. I think orange is better than pink. I think pink is actually the worst flavor. Either pink or yellow. Those are yellow's, yellow's not good. No, red's the best flavor. Who am I kidding? Red is the least sour. Red, red is the best flavor. Yeah. The all reds or like the favorite reds ones. Those are, those are good ones to get for sure. I will uh, strongly consider next time I eat Starburst, which is probably never. <laughs> Make it a tier list out of all four of them. <laughs> Sack, if the people want more of you, where can they find you and your streams and whatnot? Uh, you guys can catch me on Twitch over at SackSack17. Also on YouTube, the same place, SackSack17. And Twitter over at SackSack17. Is that my Twitter? There's an underscore in there somewhere. One of those, yeah. Twitter has the underscore. For those of you that live in EU or your morning people in NA or South America, uh, Sack is definitely your streamer. He's on in the morning for me, which is a very good time for EU. Then uh, check him out. And of course, myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. Uh, I've gotten literally millions of DMs asking people, how can we support the show? Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, leave a review on iTunes, share it with a friend. Those are the best ways to support the show. We're not monetized, so your time is more important than uh, any money to help support the show. And I appreciate everyone who already has done any of those things. And this has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.